Quest podcast. This is our Q&A where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what God's Word says, rightly dividing the Word of God. If you have a question, you can submit it through the comment section, write a word question or put a question mark in front of it, then reread your question a couple of times, make sure that it makes sense, and then go ahead and submit it. Again, our desire is to know what God's Word says. Second, Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God, is profitable for reproof, for correction, for doctrine, that the man of God would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God has good works for us to walk in, and we want to rightly divide God's Word. Now, we're certainly not saying that we can answer every question that's asked, or we're going to answer every question correctly, but we're going to look at it to the best of our ability. And if somehow we have the wrong idea about it, we want to change. We want to approach the Bible, not trying to back up what we already believe, but to find out what the Bible says so we can know what we believe. Now, on top of that, uh, we this is a this is a podcast, TruthQuest podcast, and you can sign up for this anywhere you get your podcast at. You're going to get not only these Q and A's, which you can listen to while you're driving, but you get our full length teachings. There are two of those a week in the Book of Revelation right now, and in the Book of Luke. Uh, and also, you're going to get our hot topics that are released, and um, they are released once a week on Mondays, but you'll be able to listen to them and, again, subscribe for them anywhere that you get your podcasts at. Uh, so it's good to see you guys here. I want to go ahead and get into our first question, which has to do about the prayer of Jabez. And this is a question that was asked a while ago. The prayer of Jabez is a biblical prayer prayed by a descendant of Judah who was given an unfortunate name by his mother. His name was Pain, because he had caused her pain. Names rarely, names really meant something in those days. And when he would meet people, he would be introduced as Pain. Remember, Abraham's name was father, he didn't have any children. And then when he had a child, God changed his name to the father of many, but he would have the father of many. Jacob's name was heel catcher, changed to Israel, which means ruled by God. And so, so Jabez, having this name Pain, really disturbed him. He was upset by it. So he decided to do something about it. He set his heart on God and prayed a prayer asking for a blessing instead of pain. And God answered his prayer. In this, is this a prayer that we should pray today? If we should pray it for 30 days, is God going to bring a blessing into our lives? Is this prayer God's will? And, and always, or is this prayer a prayer that God will always answer today? The true power of the prayer of Jabez. And I do mean the true power of the prayer of Jabez. All right, let's take a look at the prayer. I want to first of all bring it up on the screen for you here, and we'll read it together. Now, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. Note that. The Bible rarely says good things about people. Job was said to be a righteous man. Joseph of Arimathea was said to be a good man. We know the Bible says no one is good but God, but we also know by human standards we can be good. And Jabez was an honorable man more than his brothers, and God honors that. Doesn't mean he was perfect, doesn't mean he didn't have sin, but he was honorable. And it says, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel. Now, Jabez, first of all, was an honorable man. And 
um, again, the Bible says the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. And the second thing that he did was to call out on the name of God. He's doing what's right here. He's not just coming up with a formula. And this, the Bible doesn't tell us he prayed this prayer over and over again, but he prayed it one time from his heart and God honored that for him. Now he prays a few things when he prays this, he calls out on the God of Israel, right? And the Bible says in, in John 15, seven and eight, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciple. And here I think we see that Jabez had a desire to be honorable with God. The Bible also tells us in Luke 10, nine through 11. So I say to you, ask and it will be given unto you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who seeks, who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. So we're promised, and, and in the Greek, it's in the continual. We are to ask and keep asking, seek, seek and keep seeking. And Jabez had this heart to really find out what it was that God wanted for him. And of course, his mother had given him that name. We're also gonna see something in this prayer of Jabez as we look over it again, or as we continue to read on in it. And that is that this wasn't a selfish prayer. He cared about other people. A lot of times, those that are in the faith movement have jumped onto this prayer of Jabez. In fact, in 2000, there was a book written, The Prayer of Jabez, that sold 9 million copies. And that's a lot of copies. There's merchandise, mugs, and t-shirts, and a jewelry line. And it was believed that if you had a, a wore a necklace that had First, uh, First Chronicles 4, 9, and 10 on it, or First Chronicles 4, 10 on it, or a mug that you were blessed just because you had that. And that if you prayed this prayer every day, you would be blessed and that God wanted you to be rich and never wanted you to be sick. And if you are rich uh, or if you aren't rich or you aren't sick, it's because you don't have enough faith or because you are in sin. Now they grabbed onto this. And so people began to pray this prayer for 30 days. And then they would talk about how much their life had changed. And it really swept through a lot, unfortunately, of the evangelical world but there's something we can really learn from this prayer. The Bible says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each of you esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. And I wanna show you in this prayer of Jabez, Jabez did that. He prayed for other people that were around him. It says, and Jabez called out on the name of the Lord. He's an honorable man, more honorable than his brothers, and he calls out on the name of the Lord. He isn't saying this prayer is some kind of superstitious prayer. It's interesting to me that the other prayer that's used as a superstitious prayer is the Lord's prayer. And Jesus, right before he gave it, said this in Matthew 6, 7, and 8. And when you pray, do not use vain repetition as the heathens do for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you need before you ask Him. Don't pray the Lord's Prayer in repetition. Don't pray the prayer of, 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 of Jabez in repetition. But if you can mean it when you pray it, or you pray something like it that you really mean, then it becomes extremely powerful. Now let's go back and take a look at the rest of this prayer and see what we can gain from it. So it says, now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother's called his name Jabez because 
I, he, uh, I was born he, uh, because I bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel saying, oh, that you would bless me indeed. The first thing that he says in this prayer is that he wants to be blessed. Now, this doesn't mean that he's just asking that he would be rich and have all kinds of blessings. We learn at the end of this prayer that he's seriously doesn't want to cause people pain. He doesn't want pain in his life, but he wants to be blessed. Psalms 1 tells us how we can be blessed. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in that law he meditates day and night. And think about the Beatitudes, the inverse principle. He was first as last, and last as first. You want to be greatest in the kingdom, then learn to be a servant of all. And so in the Beatitudes, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Unfortunately, the prosperity movement has made the blessings that God wants to give you the blessings that the world wants to give you instead of, uh, instead of true, genuine, real blessings. Now let's go back to the prayer. He says, this is his prayer, uh, and, and Jabez called to the name of God, oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory. Now, he's not just asking that he would have more territory, but he's asking that he would have more influence. In their day, the more territory you had, the more you were able to help people. And because he's an honorable man, he's going to want to help the poor and the needy. He wants to be a blessing to those people that are around him. He just doesn't want to be blessed. He wants to be able to bless people. It would be like us praying, Lord, increase my influence. Let me take the gospel to more people. Let me share you, enlarge my territory. That's the prayer that he's praying. Now he goes on, enlarge, um, he says, um, and that you would bless me indeed, enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me. Now here, he's not just praying that he would have stuff from God, that God's the giant vending machine, and I'm gonna pray this for 30 days, and that God's gonna give me whatever I want because I keep praying for it, and then finally, wow, I got it all, I got everything that I wanted. No, he wants God with him more than he wants the, the gifts. We want the giver more than the gifts. We want to love God and have a real relationship with him and not just be praying for stuff, but that God would genuinely be with us. He then goes on to say, and that you would keep me from evil. This reminds me so much of the Lord's Prayer, right? That you would keep us from the evil one, that you would lead us not into temptation. Jesus was led by the spirit out into the wilderness where he was tempted and that you would keep me from the evil one. So Jabez prayed that he would be kept from evil. Why is he thinking this? Because this descendant of Judah is named pain and people around him think he's going to bring pain and maybe his name will cause that to happen in their lives and he doesn't want that. How do I know this about Jabez? Well, let's just keep reading. It goes on to say, and that you would keep me from evil, and that I may not cause pain. Here pain, 
is praying that he would not cause pain. So God granted him what he he requested. So God answered that prayer. Now, just because this is a prayer in the Bible that has been said, has been answered, it turned into this prayer that there was this 30-day thing going on and, and having the t-shirts and having even around you that you would be blessed by the prayer of Jabez. I want to say this, that I think the prayer of Jabez is an incredibly powerful prayer. When you are an honorable man, an honorable woman, and have things right with God, the, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. When you want to be blessed by God in the real way, not blessed by in the worldly way, but blessed by God and how God's truly going to bless you, not always by delivering you from your circumstances, but sometimes in your circumstances. And when you say that I want you to be with me and I, I and enlarge my territories or help me to be more influential and don't let me cause pain to anyone. What a powerful prayer. I want to read this one more time. I'm just going to read the prayer but I want to read it one more time and listen to what it says. Now, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because you bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil, that I might not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. What a powerful prayer and how powerful it can be when we realize what he was praying and what he was talking about. Not just trying to get something from God, but wanting to be the kind of man that lives for God, that isn't led into evil, that doesn't cause people pain. May we truly find the blessing that comes from the life that is lived for Christ. It doesn't always mean we'll be delivered from our circumstances, but like the Beatitudes, blessed in our circumstances. All right, so thank you again. As I said, this was a question that was submitted quite a while ago. I wanted to take some time and be able to respond to that. Um, but it's really good to see you guys today. I um, see some people here logging on right away from Facebook. That's good. Glad to see you. And then quite a few from, um, from YouTube. Good to see you guys as well. Let me just go ahead and uh, put the comments up here while we scroll through them a little bit. Uh, it's really good to see you guys. I always appreciate, I really appreciate what we're building here as far as a community that really can care for one another, really can be praying for each other, and also can help to respond to some of the questions. There may be things that I don't see or I haven't thought about. And I love that you guys are keeping it on point and responding according to the questions that are here, rather than having some kind of a huge distraction that is taking place. I really do love that. All right, so we have our first question here from Kay. And Kay says, Wednesday, Wednesday, I had asked if sin is equal, if we are all free from punishment from sin, and sin, uh, and sin is not equal, is that true for non-believers or believers alike? Sadly, always taught the same. Um, sin is not equal. If I, if I punch someone, it's different than if I murder someone. And God's going to respond to me differently in that. I'm going to be judged for what I do and what I say. But I am already condemned, okay? The Bible says, and I, let me see if I can pull this up for you. The Bible says in John chapter 3, 
Jesus is talking, it's right after the famous passage in John chapter 316, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. We'll start with 316 and see if we can go through here. Let me show this to you. Uh, and, and we're gonna see that we are not condemned because we sin, we're condemned because we're sinners. Listen to what it says here. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but through the world, through him, he might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten God. So you see, Kay, there is a condemnation that takes place already. And so we think I'm sinning and therefore I'm, go I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be judged for that. We are a sinner and we need God's judgment. I mean, I mean, we need God's grace because we are set up for God's judgment. And so I need to ask God, God, forgive me, come into my life, I'm sorry, I receive the work. Jesus died a substitutionary death on the cross so that you could have your sins forgiven. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And it has nothing to do with one sin or another sin. One person might be involved in homosexual sin, another in heterosexual sin. There may be different levels of that sin to God, I don't know, but both will be condemned if they don't come to Christ. One who, who bears false witness is condemned to eternity apart from God as much as one who murders someone else. So when pastors say all sin is the same, that's what they mean. I just think they ought to explain it when they say that because then people get thinking, well, if I murder or commit adultery, it's just like telling a lie. And that's a big misunderstanding. And if that's gonna to lead to a difference in behavior from people, we need to understand that. No, we wanna walk rightly with God. And we do know that we will be judged or chastened if we're God's children by what we do. And, and the sins we commit are different. And there's no, there's no passage that says that all sin is the same. There are passages that said that passages Kay, that say, all sin will separate you from God forever but not that they're all the same, okay? So let me just look at your question here, see if I got, on Wednesday I had asked if sin is equal, if we all are free from punishment and from sin. We're, I mean, we're not free from God chastening us. The Corinthians were mistaking, were, 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 were not taking communion properly and God caused some of them to be sick and even killed some of them. So when we talk about punishment, yes, punishment from sin and separation from God, but not chastening. If sin, then you say, and sin is not equal, is that true for non-believers and believers alike? I would say, yes, it's true for non-believers and believers alike. God's, the Bible said, Jesus in a parable said about hell, some are gonna be beaten with few stripes and some are gonna be beaten with many. Hitler is not gonna be treated the same as somebody who is basically by human standards, a good person, but rejected Jesus Christ. God's going to treat everyone fairly because God is fair. It's more tolerable for the city of Sodom and Gomorrah than for the city of Capernaum where the light of Jesus shone. So God treats people by the light that they have and by the things that are there. So yes, it is true between non-believers and believers alike. And then you say, sadly, I always taught the same. So you were taught that all sin was the same 
And you know what? That's okay. All of us, and, and I've taught things. I've been teacher for 37 years. You can't teach two, three, five. Sometimes I have taught uh, seven services a week. And you can't expect to, to teach 100%. And I have changed some of the things that I taught. Things that I used to taught, teach, I now teach differently because I've gotten more of an understanding with the word of God. And it would only be pride that would keep me from going, wait a minute, God's word doesn't say what I think it said. And I wanna, I wanna teach what the word of God says. So I'm not afraid if I get corrected, if someone comes up after me and said, you taught this, but the Bible says this. And if I look at it and go, well, that's right. I'm not afraid to stand up the next week and say, I need to correct something. Because which one of us is perfect? And none of us are expected to be perfect. All right, Kay? So thank you very much. So um, I'm sadly, all you've taught always the same. Maybe, you know, maybe it's just one thing that he thought or your pastor thought that wasn't right. Um, but it's good to know that they're not all the same. All right. We want to try to walk as righteously as we can towards the people that are around us. So we have a question from Jari. Jari, good to see you. As always, Jari says, why are the seven churches in the order they are? Is it because of trade routes or is it prophetic? Are we the church of Laodicea or Philadelphia? Hence, tribulation brings after Laodicea. So thanks for your question, Jari. Let's talk about the seven churches in the book of Revelation. First of all, they do go in a circular manner. It begins with Ephesus, the loveless church, and ends with Laodicea, the lukewarm church that are next to each other, but on the bottom of this circle. So it goes, if I can get it right now, it goes from Ephesus to Smyrna, the persecuted church, to Pergamum, the compromising church, to Sardis, the dead church, to Thyatira, the corrupt church, to Philadelphia, the faithful church, and finally to Laodicea, the um, Laodicea, the lukewarm church. Now, so they're in an order that they are there. However, the first three churches seem to be churches in history, and the last four churches have references to the return of Jesus in every one of them. So it seems like these last four churches are churches that are around in the last days. I think that God gave us those churches so we could find ourselves in them. That's why he says at the end of every one of them, he who has an ear, let him hear what God says to the church. So I want to evaluate myself and see, am I faithful? What was it about the Philadelphians that made them faithful? They kept the word of God. Think about that. That's the main thing they did. They persevered and they kept the word of God. That's amazing. You want to be faithful to God? Keep his word. And I don't mean in some legalistic sense. I just mean that when you hear what God wants from you, now you want to please God because God's word has told you that. And there are those faithful who faithfully keep God's word in the last days. Praise God. There are the, there's those who are lukewarm in the last days. I think the progressive church is part of that. I think there are those who are corrupt in the last days. And I think there are those who are dead in the last days. I think all of these churches are around today. So I do think that God by his providence, put them in the order, and they were going through what they were going through because he wanted us to be able to learn from them. All right, thank you, Jari. Uh, great question, by the way. Um, as you make your way through those seven churches, you do find that there's some very specific things that speak to each one of us. 
All right. Uh, we have a question from, is this uh, Cheyenne? Sh- uh, Cheyenne? Cheyenne? All right. Sorry if I butcher your name. Uh, I'm good at butchering names. There's one thing I am good at is butchering names. So Cheyenne says, um, question, on Wednesday night, you're talking about the churches in Revelation and the churches like today. Like your church is good, but the church down the street is bad. Or was it more like the whole town? Um, Yeah, I mean, we all want to be part of Philadelphia. We want to be part of the faithful church. No, I think it's that there's a mixture in every town now. It's not like in, in their day where the whole church of Philadelphia had been keeping God's word and the whole church of in Ephesus had been loveless. I think there are loveless churches. I think there are corrupt churches. I think there are faithful churches. I think there are uh, um, lukewarm churches. I think that within each church, you can find all seven kinds of these people that you find from those churches, okay? So I do think it's like, yeah, your church is good, but the church down the street is bad. Only I, I don't want to point fingers unless I know exactly what a church down the street might be doing that isn't doing things right. Okay. So yes, I do think that it applies to every church today. And the reason I think that it's not just because I think it, because at the end of every letter, Jesus says, if you have ears to hear, then let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. In other words, listen up. Don't just think, I don't go to Laodicea, so I don't need to hear this. No, do you got ears? Then hear what the Spirit says to the churches because it applies to all of us and it works in all of our lives. And there are so many things to learn, maybe even in individuals. Which one of us doesn't struggle with compromise sometimes or maybe corruption at another time or maybe being lukewarm, just being ho-hum towards God or maybe really being diligent about obeying his word and, ch- and checking out, and checking false teachers and proving it, but having our love grow cold. So it's good for all of us to evaluate uh, where we are when we're reading those seven letters. I'm kind of sad that I'm done with them again. I don't know when I'll get back to them again. I hope I will at some point in my life and be able to cover them again. So um, Kay says also the churches represent people groups of people on the earth and the characteristics of sin are described um, so we know exactly what God wants. It's clear, uh, it's clear, I guess you could say, and I think it is clear, yes, and I think you're right. Uh, Certain kinds of churches, certain kinds of people, I think um, they have um, all of those kind of things. Um, And um, exciting, keeping it real, that um, your uh, husband got a chance to witness today for the gospel. Uh, that is so powerful. Uh, I've, I've noticed something uh, here recently that when I'm giving the gospel, when I start to talk about Jesus dying in your place, God coming to the earth and dying for our sins foretold by the scriptures and then being buried and raised from the dead according to the scriptures and that if you receive him, you'll have your sins forgiven that there's a lot of distractions that seem to take place. I think there's a, there's far more spiritual warfare in our witnessing and when you are presenting the gospel than we think. The Bible says that the enemy blinds the eyes of those who do not believe. I, I've taken now in my altar calls to a- almost repeating when I get to that point. When I get to the point that explains that Jesus died, Jesus came from heaven a perfect sinless man so he could die for you who were sinful. I, I've taken to say that twice. And, and say things like Charles Stanley, listen to me, listen to me now. 
to try to really get some of that distraction away and even pray before services that there would be, the enemy would be bound, that he would not be able to blind the eyes of those who do not believe, but they would be able to see it and clearly believe it. Good, um, good stuff there. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited for your husband. It's always fun when the Holy Spirit opens up opportunities uh, to be able to share your faith. All right, so we have a question from Empress Kimberly. Kimberly says, um, hi, Pastor, a friend's wa um, watching wants to know how involved should Christians be in politics? She has heard not to mix religion with politics. It is limited to, and is limited to prayer. Thank you. Well, thanks, Kimberly. I appreciate your question. And I'm going to, I hate to do this to you, but I'm going to, it depends on the person. How involved should you be in politics? We know this, I'm supposed to be involved in the gospel. I want to vote, but I'm not very involved in politics. I've got my opinions. Trust me, I've got my opinions, but I'm not involved in that much of all politics because what I do is present the gospel that sets people free. And I see that politics is not very effective compared to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which has the power to be able to save. But if someone in my fellowship is called to run for office, that's what God wants him to do and how he wants him to shine his light, then he's gonna be very involved in politics. And you may be a person that wants, that really feels led to go down and set up tables or, 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 or count or watch or all of the things that can be done. And you can do that as a Christian if you're called by that. So it depends on how you're called. I just would say, Kimberly, that you don't put politics on par with what God can do, the gospel. That's what really matters. And that's why even if you're in a communist country, you see the power of the gospel saving people, even when their lives are endangered, they still serve and follow God. And isn't that an amazing thing? And they come to Christ sometimes in unprecedented numbers in a completely hateful adversarial uh, nation, they are used by God. And so politics is important. And I don't wanna say it's not important, but I would rather focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I don't want someone to come into church who may lean in a direction I don't lean, have me start talking a lot about politics and have them offended where they will not hear the gospel now. So that's me. Other churches are much more involved in it. Some churches in California are very involved in, in politics. Some Calvary chapels are very involved in politics. I'm not saying it's wrong for them. It might be the call that God has for them in an environment where there are fewer um, uh, conservative Christians that are there, it might be better for them or good for them to be involved in it. All I can say is what I feel God wants for me and my advice to all pastors everywhere is that the gospel of Jesus Christ comes first because Christ changes people. And there, a lot of times, isn't a lot of difference between the groups. And, and I've always said that I'm, I'm, I'm for the unborn. That's what right now, that's what politics is for me because I think it's a big, I think it's a huge genocide. And it, it is unprecedented in our age. We, we're living in a country that has had the greatest genocide in our age. And so that's 
how I use politics and the things that I think are important in, in politics. So thank you, Kimberly. I appreciate your question. You can be an, involved in it as you want to be, but it's not the gospel that's going to change people. That what's really going to change people's lives is the gospel. John, good to see you. John says, um, what does God, uh, why does God choose not to heal any longer? I have known many people, believers who have suffered, some died along with their prayers. I know myself and many others also prayed for healing. Um, I don't think that you can make the statement, John, that why does God choose not to heal any longer? Because there's no reason for us to think that God doesn't heal. I've seen healings. My mother-in-law had a mass found in her lung. They biopsied it. It came back as cancer. They went and they removed that lobe. And then they went and they made sure that, you know, what it was and that they got it all. And there was no cancer there. We prayed for her. We laid hands on her and prayed for her. I'm not saying it was me. I'm saying we prayed for her and the, that which was confirmed had a biopsy was not there. Now, a few years later, my wife, her daughter got lung cancer. We had a biopsy and it came back positive. We anointed her with oil and we prayed for her and God took her home. Why did God heal her mother-in-law, my mother-in-law, her mom, but not her? I don't know. I, I thought, what greater thing could God do than to heal a pastor's wife of stage four lung cancer? How glorious that would be for his name. But God chose to glorify her and heal her ultimately through that. I think I would like to reword your question a little bit. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but if I were asking this question, I would ask, ask, ask it differently. Why does God choose not to heal as many people as he did in the New Testament? That's what I would say, because I've seen God heal today. And when you talk to doctors that have been doctors for a long time, they will tell you that they believe in the power of prayer and they've seen too many things. It doesn't happen most of the time. Most of the time people that have to be operated on, most of the time when someone's got a death, they're, a sickness they're gonna die from, they end up dying from it but it does happen that God intervenes. There's a book called Miracles. And I'm trying to remember the name of the guy that wrote it, but he is a, a PhD who set out to document miracles. He got so many miracles that he could document that he, he had to turn them down. He couldn't put him in his book. I'm just gonna take a moment to see if I can go to my Audible, I've got um, one of the books by him on Audible. I wanna tell you who this guy is because it's good to actually read these verifiable accounts of people who can, close, um, of people who have been healed. So the book that I'm reading now, I mean, I'm listening to it, it's on Audible, is Miracles Today by Craig S. Keener. He's written several other books documenting miracles, going and documenting miracles. And this will help us to know that just because we don't see it, that's anecdotal evidence that we don't see it. So God must not be healing, but God is healing today. And it's made me continue to pray that God would heal people because I've seen people healed and I've seen God heal them ultimately 
by taking them home. And I saw the way Lisa, my wife, accepted what God had for her. Came to that place when I still thought, well, God was going to heal her and her told me God's gonna take me home and begin to set her eyes on heaven. And she died really well. I, if you had have told me five years before that Lisa was gonna die a painful death of cancer, I would have said, Katie, bar the door. This isn't gonna be good. But by God's grace, she died a, a good death, lifting God up, encouraging people around them, glorifying God in her death as much as she did in her life. And I think that that's very powerful. So God does heal today. It's just the Holy Spirit who chooses who he heals. It's by his will, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that the Holy Spirit gives gifts as he wills. And so when he wills to heal somebody, and it is also the gifts of healings, and the, the plurals there on both of them have caused some people to believe that it's actual gift given for one person, that one person doesn't have this gift. Because if you had the gift of healing, that you could just go and pray for anybody and heal them, then you better go down to a hospital and start delivering people, emptying out the hospitals. But God doesn't work that way. He touches some people and heals them for his purposes, and other people he doesn't heal for their purposes. All right, John, I hope that that is helpful, and I hope that that stirs you up in faith. And um, look up Miracles Today by Craig Keener. It's, um, I've read about half, I've, I've listened about halfway through the book. Very, very powerful, very encouraging, and amazing some of the documented miracles that he's seen. God does still do miracles today, and I think it's so important for us to understand that. All right? Thank you very much, um, John. I really do appreciate that. And I hope that that answer is helpful to you. All right. Um, also, I wanna let you guys know that we are having a pastors and leadership conference in March. We do this every year. It's the Calvary Chapel Southwest Pastors and Leadership Conference. Uh, last year, we did it on prophecy. This year, we're doing it on apologetics. The Bible says, let everybody be, everyone be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in them. Doesn't mean you can answer all the questions, but you have a reason for the hope that is in you. And so we have quite a group of people that are coming out this year. Uh, we have uh, Gary Habermas, who is an expert on the resurrection and near-death experiences that's going to come out and share. This is in Tucson early in March. Uh, we have um, Frank Turek, who's going to come out and be with us. Leighton Flowers is going to be with us. He's going to be talking about Calvinism and the, tr the historical view. Before Augustine came along, Christians believed that you had a choice as to whether or not you could be saved. And Augustine brought in determinism and Calvinism came out of that. And so he's going to defend the historical view. And um, Skip Heitzig is going to be there. Uh, Greg Kokel, who wrote the book Tactics, which is a really good book, by the way, if you've never read it. It helps us to know how to respond to critics, which ways to respond, really, really good. I can't say enough good about the book tactics. I've used his stuff a lot in sermons, all right? And um, I'm hoping not to speak at it this year, but it will be a three-day conference. You can go on calvarytucson.com and you can register for it today. We'll also need about 150 volunteers to help all the people that are going to be there. So if you would like to volunteer for it. Now, if some of you guys live somewhere else, it'd be great for you to come down and visit us uh, at that conference. I'd love to see you there, meet you, uh, shake your hand, get to know you a little bit, all right? So um, 
we have another question by Idea Called Freedom. Idea Called Freedom, good to see you. Good to have you here. How do you know the things certain people said in the Bible when the apostles were not there to witness? For example, Pilate's wife. Um, yeah, I do, I do like this question. And it's good for us to be thoughtful on things like this. How do we know what was said when we don't know that anybody else was there? Well, here we don't know who heard that. We don't know where exactly she said it. We don't know if it's like the movies where she takes him aside and tells him it. There's also all kinds of, remember, Pilate drops off of the map after he's recalled from, uh, from Judea for slaughtering the, the Samaritans. And there's all kinds of legends that pop up. It is, is said by the, um, the Orthodox Coptic Church in Egypt that Pilate and his wife moved there and they are sainted for what that counts for. They are sainted in the uh, in the Orthodox Coptic Church, Pilate and his wife, because they said they became Christians, helped them out there. And um, how did they know? Maybe there was a servant there who heard it. Maybe someone from the crowd overheard it. Maybe when Jesus took Pilate back in to have a conversation with him, maybe there were some guards there that told somebody else later on what was said. So we're assuming that no one else would know, but in fact, we don't know that. We don't know who could have overheard what was said when certain, certain things were said. But Pilate's wife is one I've heard, and I've heard Pilate when he takes Jesus back into the Praetorium. The idea that it was just those two and no more, it wasn't any of the Jews, that's for sure, but that doesn't mean there might not have been some servants that heard it or other people who were able to explain and to tell John exactly the things that were said. I don't know if John would have been able to be in the Praetorium to hear it, but we we just don't know. And I think that we can still have confidence that it is the word of God and that these things are true because we don't know. We just, there's just, we, there's just certain things we don't know. All right. Idea called freedom. I like, I like your thinking. I like the way you're thinking. I, um, I go down these paths as well. I've told you before that I'm a skeptical person and I want to believe what the truth is. And I like when we start asking questions like this, because if we can get these settled in our mind, then we'll be able to answer people their very real questions with very real answers. All right. So thank you very much. I really do appreciate that. Um, uh, let's see, what do we got here? Looking at just a few of your guys's comments, looking at what you're watching. Um, something going on here about the watchers, which would be the angels. They're called the watchers twice in the book of Daniel, by the way, called the watchers in the book of, in the non-canonical book of Enoch. Okay, um, but we do have them called watchers in the book of, of Daniel as well. Um, so let's see, I'm gonna go down and see if I can get a question. Just kind of looking through here at the different things that are being talked about here. Uh, good stuff. Um, we have another question from Cheyenne. I think that's how you say it. Um, so Cheyenne says, confuse me for having a confuse or, or forgive me for having a confusing question. Basically, I'm asking if when the church of blank does that mean there was only one church per town? You can't say the church of Tucson. Well, you can, 
You could say the Church of Tucson because we, as Calvary Tucson, make up a part of the church in Tucson. So do dozens of other churches that make up the Church of Tucson. Do we all have the same thinking in the way things are going? No. But remember, you were going from the very early days. Those churches were established in those towns. And what was going on there was unique for that church that was overseen by a pastor or pastors in that town. And then they led into those certain areas. We're so far down the road now where we have so many different ideas and splits. They were right very near the source. And when you come out of the source, there's like one idea and those split into many. And so, so sometimes they go outside of the realm of Christianity where we go, that's no longer Christian thought. And we have the Christians in history to help us with the creeds for what genuinely is taught as historical Christianity. But the, you can see how the church of Ephesus developed and had their problem of lovelessness, even though they were testing false prophets and finding them out to be liars and how the church of Laodicea could have grown lukewarm because they're rich and they're trusting in their riches and so they just don't have a need for God. So they are, they're lukewarm in their relationship with God. Today, there are those in our, probably in Calvary Tucson, who are lukewarm, loveless, faithful, corrupt, uh, and, and, and so on and so forth, all right? So I think that's the answer to your question, Cheyenne. I think you're thinking of those churches like the, the Church of Philadelphia that had the church planted there and was one church and had certain pressures that caused them to go one way or another, either good or bad, or sometimes both. Because to five of the churches, he gives commendations and condemnations to five of the churches. But today, we are not going to have the Church of Tucson in the same way you had the Church of Philadelphia. We're just too far down the line to have um, the beginning of those pure, um, I don't know I'm going to say the, the pure things, but the beginning of their struggles and difficulties that made them different were different in each town because they were one church in each town. And it's so different now with different denominations and all the things that go on. But we do have what we we believe is mainline Christianity and churches that fall in that and churches that don't fall in within that. So you can believe some things that we would believe are wrong, but you would still be in the bounds of Christianity. You can believe things, something about his deity, say that you're going to be outside of the bounds of Christianity. All right. And, and keep asking a follow-up question, Cheyenne. Uh, we want to make sure that you really do understand. And I'm not, I don't get upset at all to get follow-up questions. I might get upset if I have 20 questions about the millennium in one Q&A. That's the only time, all right? Other than that, we can talk over and over about something just because I want you to have clarity. I want, And if I've missed answering your questions some, some way and I can have some clarity for you, I want to be able to do that, all right? So Albert Sanchez, good to see you, Albert. Hello, Pastor. Satan knows the Bible well, yes. So he was aware of prophecies regarding Jesus deny, dying for our salvation. So why did he play a role in his death? Did God blind him to the truth somehow? So this is another really good question, Albert, and I've thought about this a lot myself. I think when we go back in prophecy and we know prophecies that are fulfilled because we're told they're fulfilled from the New Testament to the Old Testament, but we go back to the Old Testament and we see that, that sometimes they're written in the course of 
a narrative. But in the middle of that is a prophecy that now we know was speaking of the Messiah because the New Testament tells us that. So that sometimes it's not as easy to see the prophecies until after they're fulfilled. 2020 is hindsight kind of thing. And I think that the enemy really didn't know what was going on. I think that the Bible has enough mystery in it. He knows the word of God well. He knew to say to Jesus, lest you dash your foot against a stone. But I don't think he saw what was coming, even though there were these Old Testament prophecies. I think he thought he could really win. People say today, well, Satan's got to know he can't win. I don't know. Sin's pretty deceptive. He may think he can win. Maybe he knows he can't win, but he thinks he can kick the can down the road forever and not have and not have God finally bring judgment upon him. Maybe that's the case. But um, I, I mean, we go back to Psalm 22 and, and maybe for whatever reason, he didn't connect Psalm 22 to what was happening when it happened. Because Psalm 22 is so clearly the crucifixion of Jesus. But for whatever reason, he didn't, he didn't connect it. And I think that's why prophecy is the way it is. Because if God wanting to show us that he knows the future would give us clearer prophecies, we would be able to use those clear prophecies. But when we go back and we use them, like, um, um, behold, I tell you, um, behold, um, a, a, a maid shall, a virgin shall conceive and bear a child. Well, that word is maid. But the Septuagint translates it virgin. So Septuagint was written 165 years before the time of Christ. So the idea was there, but it was also about the birth, I think, of Cyrus. So it's in the narrative of the birth of Cyrus that all of a sudden we have a behold that doesn't fit, a virgin conceiving that later on fits. And so I think the mystery of the word of God may also be so that while prophecy was being fulfilled so that God could make an open spectacle of the enemy, they didn't understand it. Now I realize there's a lot of questions to what I just said. I realize someone could write a thesis on this and have to prove every point. So I'm not saying 100% this is the way it is. I'm just telling you, Albert, this is the things that I've thought of. I've thought down the same road and I've thought of these very things. And um, if you um, if you have any good thoughts on it too, share them. Love to, love to hear it, all right? But I think that's what's going on. I think that pride blinds you to some degree and just didn't really connect all the dots. All right, so thank you. Um, I appreciate that. Uh, we have a follow-up from John. John says, a follow-up. Totally agree, Pastor. I um, worded it wrong. Thanks for the correction. God bless you. All right, so that was the one, why doesn't God heal anymore? All right, so thanks, John. I appreciate that. Um, and yeah, we do at times just word things just a little wrong, and then we come back and go, oh yeah, this is really the way that it should be worded. All right, I appreciate that. All right, um, so again, good to see you guys here. Uh, let's, um, yeah, um, oh, I forgot about Natasha Crane. Natasha Crane's gonna be at our conference as well. And in January at the church, uh, we are gonna interview Alyssa Childers. Alyssa Childers is the daughter of Chuck Gerard, and she does a lot of things on the Alyssa Childers show where she talks about a, a lot of issues around Christianity, um, progressive Christianity, and just not believing and following the truth. And we are going to be interviewing her in January at the church. So I'm really excited about that. So we've got some things coming up uh, that I am really excited about. 
All right. So, um, idea for Christian freedom uh, says, thank you for answering my question. I've been attending Calvary Tucson since 2015, uh, even after moving out of Arizona virtually and you and Calvary Tucson saved my life. Thank you again. Ah, um, idea called freedom. Thank you very much. That's encouraging. Touches my heart. When I hear things like that, I really, really do appreciate it. Um, where, uh, where are you living? And I hope you do find a church. I hope continue to attend us and do, and do this kind of stuff, but I hope you find a church where you are that you can be a part of physically. All right. I think it's important. Uh, all right. So I'm just looking here. See, we've got another question from Kay. We're getting near the end here. So Kay, I think I'm going to go ahead and take your question. Um, let's see. All right. Yeah. Let me go ahead and take your question. Kay. We've got, um, yeah, just a few. We got another eight minutes, so we've got a time to take a few more questions, a couple more at least. So Kay says, question, uh, is healing considered any improvement? Headaches, cold, heart surgery, that's healing. Are our bodies under the curse meant to continually dying and God's power is on the is only way we recover? Um, yeah, I think that the body is, I think we are under the curse. We're, we're, our bodies are under the curse with all creation and we are dying. And if the Lord doesn't come back and we're going to be changed in a moment, a twinkle of an eye, then we are going to die. So yes, um, the question is, yeah, I mean, often when I'm praying for people, they're going in for surgery and I pray that God would heal them. And I pray that God would give the doctors wisdom. I pray that, uh, that God would blow their minds that they get in there for the surgery and go, this is, this is, this is nothing like what we thought it was. So God could pray. Remember Jesus prayed for someone and they could see men as trees walking, they were blind. And then he prayed for them again and they saw completely. I think he's teaching something in that verse, but God could choose to do it any way that God wants to do it. And even among his, his believers, even ones with the, that had gifts of healings, like Paul had an infirmity. And that word is very important. We get our word infirm from it. We had some kind of an infirmity. So, Kay, I would just say pray broadly for healings. Pray as the Holy Spirit leads you to pray. And know that God can touch and, and heal, and I'm so glad for that. And that sometimes God chooses not to, and we want to pray according to his will, as always, as Jesus did. Not my will, but yours be done. Um, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed by thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So we want to pray for God's will, but pray for healing often, uh, pray broadly for it, and we'll look to see what God does and how God takes care of things. Okay? So um, Anne says, um, just order the book you mentioned, thank you, but I didn't think Keener is a medical doctor. No, I don't think he is either. I think he's a PhD, different kind of doctor. He's a theological professor, right? Right. He's the kind of doctor, well, medical doctors go to school a lot as well, but he's the kind of doctor that goes to school a lot and, and gets his PhD and and then is is doctor from then on out. Um, but, you know, it's frowned on in the in the theological um, scholarly world to use doctor in your own name. So for for you to put out something that you say, well, this is Dr. Robert Furrow, and I'm not a doctor, by the way, I don't have a doctorate. But if you did that, then that would be frowned upon to do that. And that's all, not, it's not just biblical scholarship, that's all the way around. It's frowned upon for people to put their titles out in front. And um, so a lot of times you'll see people who, who have their doctorate 
meaning they've gone to school enough to get their PhD and now they have their doctorate, but they don't use the word doctor at all in what they're writing. And then later on, you find out that indeed they are. So um, I'm pretty sure that he is a, I, yeah, I, I know he is. I know because of books that I've read where people are writing about him, you know, they give um, reviews that they've, they've called him Dr. Uh, Greg Keener. All right. But no, he's not a medical doctor. So I understand your confusion though. And I'll, I'll, I'll try to make it clear uh, when I'm talking about those who are doctor doctors and those who are doctors because they're scholars or really well-known in a certain one particular area. All right. Um, so Jari has another question. Um, uh, what's with the rats and tumors in, in um, Samuel? Do I want to end with this question, Jari? Um, yeah. So the Philistines thought they had defeated God because their gods were stronger. So they took the Ark of the Covenant and put it into Dagon's temple. He's the fish god, but he fell over and his head was knocked off his hands eventually. And he gave the people in every town that they went to rats and tumors, which are probably hemorrhoids, by the way, until they finally sent the Ark of the Covenant back. So God may have been trying to get it back or showing them it was the failure of the children of Israel, not your gods that caused the um, defeat, not the Ark of the Covenant. And so God gave them tumors and rats. Um, good question, Jari. I, I appreciate it. So we have a follow-up uh, from Kimberly. Kimberly says, talking about Satan, if Satan wants to kick the can down the road, would he want to stop globalism and digital currency unless we all have that wrong? Um, yeah, I mean, if these things are the fulfillment, I don't think he can ever stop. I mean, Satan's not all powerful, right? Satan is, is very limited. The Bible says that when we see him, we're going to say, is this the one that, that, that attacked the nations? So I don't think he can stop the progression of technology. Bible says men will go to and fro on the earth and knowledge will increase. That's the last chapter. Uh, that's um, uh, Daniel chapter 12 and knowledge will increase. So I don't think that he has the power to be able to stop technologies from happening. Um, kicking the can down the road, um, maybe fighting against salvation because the Bible talks about the fullness of the Gentiles coming in. And so if he can stop the fullness of the Gentiles from coming in, he can kick the can down the road. Maybe he knows he can't kick it down the road forever, but he wants to kick it down the road as far as he can. Um, the Bible says hastening the Lord's return. There's a lot of debate about what that means, and I'm not sure I understand what hastening the day of the Lord is. But if we can hasten the day of the Lord, can Satan hinder when the day of the Lord's going to happen? These are just, I mean, these are, these are questions we're asking out loud, right, Kimberly? We're thinking through them together now as a community because I don't know that we have really good answers for Alex's, um, I think it was Alex, right, that asked um, Albert, that Albert asked um, earlier. I don't think we have got good answers for that, but, you know, maybe together we would really get to, to some idea of, you know, what's going on here. Maybe there's some verses that are in the Bible that, we haven't just thought about or connected to it. Sometimes when you're teaching through a passage, you don't always connect it to what it can be connected to. And sometimes all of a sudden, somebody will bring something up and it'll be like, hey, wait a minute, there is something here. Satan knows the Bible well. He quoted the word of God to Eve. He quoted the word of God to Jesus. He misquoted it to both of them. 
He also questioned God's word to both of them. So I think it's undeniable that he knows it. He's had all of these years to look at it. Maybe he's just deceived and he doesn't believe it. Maybe he thinks he can still change it. Maybe he thinks more of himself than he should. I mean, I know people who think they're God, much less Satan. So I think there's a lot of things here. Um, so John P says, Satan uh, was an angel. He doesn't have the father's power. He can't see the future, um, but he blinds the uh, fairs discerning goers. Um, yeah, he blinds the eyes of those who do not believe, and which I would, I would agree with 100%. All right, six o'clock. Um, we got a question here from Annika about, let's see, um, Peter's curse and swore saying, didn't know Jesus. Do you think that he was actually cursing? Um, to prove that, I've heard it taught this way and threw me, it threw me for a loop. No, he's cursing by saying, God curse me if I don't, if I'm not telling the truth. May God kill me, bring curses on my head if I'm not telling the truth. That's the kind of cursing he's doing. And the oath that he's doing is, I swear by God, I swear by heaven, I swear by God, I'm telling you the truth. That's the, the words there for curse and for oaths. It's not today like the Christmas story's dad. Right? That's not like that. That's not what he's doing. So I think it's just a misunderstanding as to what those curses and oaths would mean when it talks about that. All right. So I'm not going to be able to do any more questions, even if there are some, although I'd be tempted to do it. Uh, I got a service that I've got to get to. I see your question here, Stephen. Um, and uh, we'll take, I'll take a look at them. I'll get this sent to me. I'll take a look at it, <coughs> find something for our first question, Lord willing, for this coming up Wednesday night. All right. Uh, we're talking about Pilate. Was he manipulated by the religious leaders or was he trapped by, did he do something that trapped himself or is it a little bit of both? So people always argue, why did Pilate hand Jesus over, wash his hands and say, I'm innocent of this man's blood. So we're going to be talking about that today. All right. So I love you guys. Stay close to Jesus. The faithful church kept his word. That's what they did. And that's what God commended them for their faithfulness. May we just keep his word. When, God, when we see something in God's word we're supposed to do, may we keep his word and we will be faithful. All right, stay close to Jesus. Love you guys. Uh, we will see you later on. Looks like we had a lot of YouTube here and very little Facebook. I'm just talking out loud here or maybe talking to Keith and Tyler a little bit more than anybody. Looks like our, face, our Facebook stuff isn't working. For some reason, we might have to spend some time figuring that out. All of these are Facebook except for the first two. I mean, all, all these are YouTube except for the first two. Three. Well, the first two and then a couple others after that. And then there's no more Facebook. All right. So maybe people just aren't asking questions on Facebook, but they used to. So anyway, God bless you guys. Love you. I'm out. We will talk to you later on tonight, 6 o'clock um, online or at our East Campus, 715. 6 o'clock at our East Campus. And then we have uh, um, uh, services on both campuses tomorrow. All right. God bless you guys. I'm out.